Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 52 of the Lawyerist Podcast. Today's podcast is sponsored by Smokeball. Turbocharge your law firm with case management from Smokeball. Watch a two-minute demo at smokeball.com slash lawyerist today. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. You're more productive when you aren't interrupted by the phone ringing. Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and we love the job they do. You can visit Ruby at callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial. Before we get to this show, we just wanted to take a moment to say thanks to those of you who have already made a contribution to the podcast. And those people are Constance Lowe, Paul Cataldo, Thomas Atkinson, Andrea Petrazic, Michael Young, Alex Freeberg, Jordan Couch, John Arthur Miller, Ronald Herschel, Philip Arbach, Mark Chapin, Felicity Hardy, Randall Innes, Marge Fallendies, and Ryan Reed. Thanks. Uh, you guys rock, really. It's awesome to know that you appreciate the time and effort that we put into the show. Our sponsors only cover part of the cost of producing this podcast. So if you enjoy the show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast. And thank you so much to those of you who already have. Seriously, thank you. And now here's the interview. Hi, I'm Guy Sakalakis, and I help lawyers get clients from the internet, aka legal marketing. <laughs> I, I know legal marketing is kind of a loaded term, which is why you throw it that way. But um, I feel like I need to point out that um, Guy is an excellent legal marketer and a knowledgeable and ethical marketer who's kind of my font of all things legal marketing wisdom, which is why you're on the podcast today. Very kind of you to say, and I appreciate that. Well, good. Uh, I, I, you have been a real source of knowledge for us over the years, and I, I, what I want to talk to you today is something that has just been off of my radar when it comes to legal marketing. Like, I feel like I kind of get my head around search engine optimization and um, networking and online and offline and social media. Every, I th- feel like I've got the pulse on it, but um, you've been sort of buzzing in my ear about local marketing for years, and I've just been sort of ignoring you. And so I wanted you to give us sort of a primer about what local marketing is and how to do it. And maybe you could just start out by telling me and our listeners, what what are we even talking about? What is local marketing? Sure. So I think we can even go back one more step for context. And it really goes to talking to your audience and who your audience is. And if so, there's going to be a couple presumptions we're going to make as we have this conversation. And the first is, is that you serve clients in a local area, right? Which I know Mm -hmm. a lot of firm, a lot of lawyers do, but there are obviously lawyers that maybe local marketing doesn't make sense for, you know, maybe they have a national or global practice. So this is really, you know, I think it's important to start with this. These are for, you know, consumer facing firms um, in local areas. And it's really, I think another hopefully takeaway from this as we even get through some of the specific nuts and bolts is that this isn't really a new thing. Um, You know, local marketing, local legal marketing has been going on for a long time, but 
the there's some differences in the tools at our disposal uh, that I think we should walk through. And but it's really it's it's medium agnostic. There are online things you can do. There are offline things you can do. And, and what we're really seeing now is, is that there's a blur between the online and offline. And I think that's important for us to talk about. Are we kind of talking about, so when when everybody started trying to market online, one of the things that started happening, and this happened to me a lot because I wrote a, a blog about consumer law, is I would get inquiries from all around the country. Right. And my understanding is that some lawyers who that started happening to started trying to represent lawyers all around the country, um, which caused some ethical problems. Uh, but but I guess it sounds like what's happening now is we're getting better at targeting our online marketing to just the people that we're actually able and competent to represent. Yeah, I think that's a part of it. Uh, some of it has happened sort of independently of what the lawyers have actually been doing and more of uh, having to do with how Google's getting smarter. Um, and when we talk about specifically in local search, that's definitely played a big role that Google has evolved to give much more localized and personalized results than they used to. And that has, that's caused the, you know, the effect of people in your local area being able to find local lawyers as opposed to, you know, if you wrote about a, a consumer law post and someone on the other side of the country finds it, now you're going to see Google serving results for consumer lawyers that are in the neighborhood around the corner. You know, one of the big things, too, that uh, Google's even been talking a lot about is the way that people search is evolving as well. You know, as we get more as, as search becomes more familiar to everybody, uh, instead of searching for a consumer lawyer, you're searching for a consumer lawyer near me or a consumer lawyer in my city or neighborhood or zip code. Because logically, and, and Google obviously knows this, that for many, many things that you might search for, you're going to be more interested in results that are within your city or state. Plus, Google knows where you are most of the time. Right. And that's been a huge change, too, with mobile phone adoption. Um, the, the targeting is better. The search engine is smarter. They're using more signals based on you know, your behavior, what you're uh, interested in you know how your click patterns, although a bunch of other fancy signals that I think we don't need to hyper focus on, but just think I think making the point that especially in terms of search, Google's getting better at delivering results that are localized uh, for queries that are you know relevant to a local search. And is the sort of the offline uh, version of this sort of like advertising in your neighborhood bulletin? Exactly, and. And this is, and this is, I think that's this is a good segue to this idea of the blurring of the lines, because when you do things in your local community, like participate in local charities, or you uh, take a leadership position in a local organization or association, those more and more those organizations, associations, the people connected with those things are online. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, is that those local signals start to appear online in a way that Google can use them to better inform that, hey, this person is relevant, this law firm is relevant to this local area, and those local mentions, those local links help to serve you up in those localized uh, search results. But again, I, you know, I know we're going to talk about search, but it is, I think it's important to recognize that it's these traditional uh relationship development activities that now are coming online and there's a there's an impact on search even for that 
Well, and, and this is a maybe a good point for us to state one of the things that should be obvious now but often isn't, that there really is no such thing as online marketing anymore because it moves back and forth. Yeah, I, I, you and I have uh, discussed that uh, in the past. And I, I would say it's. It, I think it's moving in your direction. It's moving in the direction of marketing is marketing. It's not online or offline or SEO. But I think it's worth noting that there are some things to think about that are not as intuitive as traditional marketing, right? So like, oh, totally. And maybe, you know, 20 years from now, this might, it might be as secondhand as all the things we talk about with traditional marketing. But, um, you know, the easiest example of that I always bring up, especially in search is, you know, if you don't know some basic HTML, if you don't know things about like uh, robots, files, you know, you can do all the right things and not appear in a single search result because of some technical. Right. And those don't have offline analogs, really. Right, um, exactly. My point is is more about the your potential clients may hear about you from a friend and then Google you or. Oh, right. That's I mean, that is absolutely you, those lines. You are can't blurred. you can't just do online marketing. It's it. it that, that's not an actual thing that anybody is capable of doing because um, it's going to go offline whether you want to or not. And you can't pretend like off online marketing doesn't exist because your offline marketing is going to go online whether you want it to or not. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that I think, and I think that is a big thing. That's that's one of the uh, bullet points that I've been trying to bring up a lot. And I'm glad you said it that way because that's really the gist of all of this is that no matter how somebody hears about you, whether it's, you know, someone that you know from your family or friends or classmates, you know, all the traditional relationships that, that we have, those people and the people that they're referring to you are now also online. Yeah. And on top of that, there's an expectation uh, that continues to grow of people being able to find out information about you. And so, and that's the, you know, that's one of the things that's difficult for a lot of lawyers to accept because, you know, in, in one vein, you say, but look, Facebook and social media are a waste of time and kids toys, except that when a word of mouth referral that, you know, tries to, to look you up online and sees, you know, whatever they see, mm -hmm. that's playing some role in their impression of you. And sometimes what they find, you know, if they don't can't, they can't find anything, you know, does that mean that they're not going to call you? Not necessarily, but sometimes they're going to find things that might prevent them from even contacting you. And so that's, that's the type of thing that I think lawyers have a, you know, are, they're starting to be warm up to, but they've had a, they've been really resistant to this idea that, um, you know, the people that they, you know, their clients, the types of clients they want aren't online. Um, and, you know, of course, I'm sure there are, there's still, you know, what, 25% or so of people, uh, something like that, that aren't, that don't use the internet regularly or whatever, but, the, but more and more, the overall majority of people are going online. So it's not, you know, it's not this classic necessarily. Well, let, let's talk about some of the statistics then. Like what, you know, what, who are we talking about that are the, what, what is the pool of potential clients we can get here? Because that's, that's one of the things that I often see lawyers scoff about is, you know, only bad clients are online, my clients aren't online, or they're not looking for a lawyer online, at least. So who are we talking about? Who is actually looking for a lawyer and who cares about whether or not they're local? Well, you know, and so it kind of depends on how we qualify how they're looking. So but, but let's let's let me directly answer you. 
when you're talking about the people that uh, are looking for you, so what they 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 uh, are a, you have a mutual friend or you have uh, a family member or somebody at work, you know, all these traditional relationships, there's a really good chance that those people are going to look you up online. Mm-hmm. Um, and so meaning they you know, may get a personal referral first, but then yeah. they're going to they're going to they're, they're going to look you up online. Exactly. It's it's becoming more of the case that even if you're, you know, you're, hey, do you know somebody that handles this kind of case? Yeah, you got to talk to so-and-so. Even when they give you their phone number, they're going to search the person's name online. Mm-hmm. And so things like, you know, and, and I know this maybe is, I think it dovetails into some of this local stuff, but certainly the relationship, word of mouth, the traditional uh, client development stuff, more and more people are going online. And that's, and there's a big, I, I think lawyers, lawyers that are arguing that people don't go to look up information about them online really are missing the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if you're, you know, if you're one of those lawyers that says, look, you know, I'm a criminal defense lawyer and nobody that is searching for criminal defense lawyer in Google is going to be, you know, nine out of 10 of those people aren't going to be good clients for me. Um, I won't dispute that, you know, different people have different practices. If you are very, if you're very selective about the clients you take, very selective about the types of cases you take, uh, you know, the internet is the fire hose of the public. It's the, it's the yellow pages. Uh, and if you're talking about like the local business lookups. And so for a lot of lawyers, that's not the right, uh, audience for them to be in front of. But I think that those same lawyers are going to be very hard pressed to argue that the people that are looking for them, uh, whether it's by, you know, a mutual connection, offline, word of mouth stuff, that they're not looking for something. So, to, so I, my, I would suggest that the overwhelming majority of people are using the internet in some way to look up for some kind of information about you. We have some statistics though, right? On like how many, what percentage of people are, are trying to starting with personal referrals versus those who are, um, starting at Google, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, Moses and Ruth, uh, little nod to them. They, with the help of Mike Blumenthal, uh, they have been putting out, I think they put it as the second one they put out, um, but they put out this survey, these Google consumer surveys, which by the way, if you're ever looking to do survey stuff, uh, Google consumer surveys is a, an affordable way to, hmm. um, to do that. But yeah, they, they've, you know, 38% of the people when they were asked, how did you find a lawyer that you hired? It was an open-ended question. I think it was, I think he qualified that like, if you hired a lawyer in the last six months. So these are people that recently hired a lawyer, um, how did they find the lawyer? And when you group the, uh, you know, these referrals slash family friend, uh, answers together, you know, 38% are still going through someone they know. Mm-hmm. So, and that's their start of their journeys. But I think it's also important to, to, to note that even those people that are going through family friend work referral, those people are also still likely to look you up online. Right. So those aren't, those aren't even people that originated their search. Um, on the internet, but they're still using it. And then you've got, you know, 15% that are originating their search through Google. So, you know, if you, and again, this is one survey, so take it for what it's worth, but, you know, at, the, at a minimum, 15% of the people in this survey were saying that they use the internet as their first look. And, and, and you're going to find that. So what, why would someone do that? Well, one, maybe people that don't know lawyers, they don't have the professional network. They don't have a lot of people they can turn to a referral or 
There are people that are dealing with legal issues that maybe they don't want to get a referral because they don't want their friends to know they're dealing with a specific legal issue. Um, so you've got that kind of aspect that feeds to that too. But, you know, again, if you combine those two things, you know, you're over half of the people, in my opinion, are going to be in some way touching the internet in terms of actually vetting their lawyer. Yeah. And you, in your, uh, in your slides uh, on local marketing um, that you did at the Clio conference, mm. you, I, I, you had a really interesting uh, quote that I, I just thought was worth pointing out that um, those who responded, of those who responded, uh, those earning more than $150,000 per year were more likely to choose an attorney based on a web search uh, than on a friend. Right. Which I thought was interesting because that's a kind of a direct answer to people who say good clients or the clients I want aren't online. Um, I think clients making six figures are the clients most people want. Right. And, and I, but I think it's also, so I think that is, you know, a much more direct way of answering your question than I answered. However, I, I think it's important that we note that, and this is where I think there's a lot of disconnect, the, those high, net worth individuals that are using the internet they're it's the the key is is how they're using it because what are they doing they're researching their legal issue right they're researching um you know what are the maybe some of their credentials that they're you know whether it's uh leadership positions they've taken or things they've said in the media that's the you know the more sophisticated consumer is is going to i mean it's going to do more research right right um, so it's, you know, and that's the thing because what happens is everybody hears internet and they hear Google search for X, Y, and, you know, practice area city lawyer. Right. But that's not where the, you know, real advantage and the real power of the internet comes in. It comes in from being able to, you know, I always say marshal the evidence of your reputation or marshal the evidence of your knowledge through the internet. So make that information easy for people to find so that they can, when they do that research, they find that you're clearly the person who is the subject matter expert on their particular need. The bottom line when it comes to ethics is that when you're marketing to people locally, it's the same as when you're marketing to anyone. Um, but what are some of the things that might come up that people aren't really paying attention to when it comes to local marketing? Obviously, well, hopefully it's obvious. One of the things that people expect to be able to find out about you is what other people think about you, um, whether that's clients or colleagues or somebody else that they you know know, like, trust or respect. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, mistakes or uh, tra traps that lawyers walk into is, one, the violating their state's rules on encouraging client testimonials or being part of the client testimonial process. In fact, some states are, you know, and it, don't get me started on <laughs> ethics rules, but, you know, the rules are the rules. Uh, some states are trying to hold lawyers accountable for things that their clients write independently when they have the ability to uh, right. suppress them. Then there is responding to a review, which brings in all sorts of client confidences and that kind of thing. Um, and of course, you know, depending on what you're doing, there are the issues of solicitation uh, that, you know, the guys that are used, uh, men and women who are using Twitter to, you know, put dollar signs and call me to get to collect your cash. 
um, you know, there are those, there's certainly some ethics issues there, but the, the irony is, is that that kind of stuff, it doesn't work that well. And so it just kind of makes you look silly. You get poked fun of by other lawyers. Um, you know, has there ever been a case that someone has, uh, attracted a client that has been a profitable client for that firm that's done that kind of thing? I'm sure there probably has been, but generally speaking, that stuff's the wrong way to go. It's towing the line with a lot of ethics things. But the, the, the biggest one that always comes up is the client testimonial stuff. And then you get into like the adjective superlative stuff where it's, you know, I'm the best lawyer and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but, but here's the thing, especially if you're looking for the sophisticated legal consumer who's of high net worth, those types of things are more likely to turn off that client than to persuade them to call you. Which it's, I mean, is there a good rule of thumb to use? I, I mean, it feels like the rule of thumb is just uh, don't be misleading and don't don't do things that uh, are really pushy, excessively pushy. And that should get you past most of the ethics problems and most of the being a jerk that turns off potential clients problems. I think those are those are good rules of thumb. Um, I always like to add in that you've got to remember that. And this is something that you know, I even wrote this about this at attorney at work, but um, one of the big things that's happening in general in online communication usage is this idea of dark social. So that's like messaging apps, mm -hmm. Facebook Messenger, where and the, there's a lot there's a lot of issues that this raises. But one of the biggest ones is, is it, it gives people the sense that they have privacy, right? So even the people that are you know some people who are really clueless. Don't even, you know, they type something on Facebook and they, and in the context of, they don't realize that the whole world can see it. Mm -hmm. But the, the, these messenger apps give you the feeling that it's private. Right. But I, you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, lawyers communications, it's, it's better to always assume that it's public and it's not going away, even when you're on these dark social messenger apps, um, in my opinion. Right. So, you know. That, that that's but that's the kind of thing where it's you know and I think that you should you should always no matter what you should always assume that what you're doing online is permanent and that it could become public. I think that's a good rule of thumb. That's uh, that's what I will try to teach my kids when I start allowing <laughs> them to get online. <laughs> right, yeah, start them off slowly. Um, and then I think the other thing though that just to take away from this, and this is this is tangentially related to the ethics stuff, but it's this idea that. That advertising, broadcasting, you know, promotional stuff is not the best way to go, even from an effectiveness standpoint. And so, you know, what I would like to tell people is if you're if you're doing things online that are just social or you're sharing an article or you, uh, you know, are sharing some of the good things you're doing in the community and charity stuff, that stuff isn't, you know, again, this is just one person's opinion, but that's not communications about a lawyer's services. And and guess what? That's the stuff people actually want to see. So now you've completely avoided the ethics stuff. You know, maybe if you're completely fabricating that you worked at a charity, that might violate the ethics stuff. But, you know, if you're actually out there in the community doing stuff, you're not talking about the services. You know, you're sharing that stuff on Facebook. You're sharing, you know, hey, we had a new hire. Um, we'd like to introduce so-and-so. People like that. The people that that the new hire uh, are connected with, they're like, "Hey, congrats on the new job." It's getting, it's gaining, building awareness. You're getting new people uh, in your uh, purview, but 
you know, it's, it's all this traditional networking stuff. You're just doing it now on online platforms and it works the best and it didn't, and you don't have to worry about ethics as much. It's right. It's just, don't be a jerk and don't be slimy and <laughs> that kind well, of some stuff. people, there are plenty of jerks online that seem to be doing just fine. So seem, I, I hope it's just seeming to be doing fine, but you never know. So, um, okay. So, so from a, from a potential client perspective, how is it that I want to pop into their consciousness, uh, whether it's online or offline, like how am I trying to intersect them? And I, and I, there's this buzzword that showed up on your slides that I'm not, I think I have an idea what it is, but I'm not sure. And I, and I think it's kind of what the, what local is all about, which is this idea of micro moments. Is that right? Right. So let's, let's talk about that for a second. So that's a, a term Google uses. In fact, if you search micro moments, Google has a whole section on think with Google about micro moments, but you know, mm-hmm. really at the, at the center of what's happened is, is the, this mobile revolution. So people have smartphones in their pockets and the, so what's happened is it's fractured the consumer journey for a lot of different stuff. So when we say that in the past, you know, in the traditional marketing 101 classes, people are your potential clients move through this hiring funnel, right? So they, you know, maybe they get exposed to a message, you know, they're, they're looking for something to get exposed to a message. They have a consideration set and then they make a decision about hiring. And it was very, you know, that was kind of the model. But now, because we have access to all this information, we've got these supercomputers in our pockets, it's all fractured. Right. And so, you know, you have the, you know, and this goes to the the attention problems that people have and all that kind of thing. But they might start their journey on, you know, and I'll even expand this beyond just mobile devices, but, it, you know, they might be dealing with something in their personal life. They might see an ad on TV, which might drive them to do a search on their phone which might make them uh, sign up for some kind of email, which might make them uh, think about asking a, a, a question of a friend on Facebook. And so it's all of these little touch points now that form this tapestry of their consumer journey. And that, and it's a, it's a big change. And, you know, from a, from the perspective of a law firm, that's why I think it's, it's so important not to be so uh, single minded that, you know, People, I, all my best business comes from word of mouth referrals and people are just going to call my phone and leave me a voice message. I'll call them back and decide whether they're the, you know, a good client for me. That's just not how it, you know, does it work like that? Sure. Sometimes, but most people now they have this expectation that they can find information about you online, that they can find information about you, uh, from social networks. So, you know, people that you're mutually connected to. And that's all part of this validating process that motivates people to uh, get answers to their questions, uh, you know, even when they're further down the, the stage. Because, you know, one of the, this is a sorry, I'm kind of rambling here, but no, that's all right. I, it's, it, I, it's, I, I'm interested in the way it all sort of intersects and becomes uh, a sort of a morass of engagement. And it it sounds like part of it is like think of yourself as. Um, Wikipedia, somebody might discover an article for the first time by searching for it, or they might already know where it is and come to you for more information than they currently have to check on something. Much better said than I was saying it, but that's exactly right. So many lawyers forget that a lot of people who are going to be their potential clients are at a stage where they don't even realize they might need to talk to a lawyer. Mm hmm. And so if you can give them, you know, if you can help them through that journey before they're even at, you know, the point where they're like, I need to hire a lawyer, 
if it's, I need to get an answer about this issue I'm dealing with my life and, oh, this law firm or this lawyer uh, has some great information on that, or this person that I know points me in the direction of this lawyer who has some great information about that online. That to me is like the, the big, you know, one of the big missing pieces that I think too many lawyers uh, are ignoring in terms of what the internet's really done to that consumer journey. So we're going to take a two minute break for a message from our sponsor. And uh, when we come back, we will talk about how to put yourself in the position to be on the other side of those micro moments. Wish there was a case management system built just for your area of law. Smokeball comes with over 200 different matter types to support the way you work. Turn case details into documents with automated templates, convert and email PDFs with just a click, and stay on top of every detail and task with workflow tools. Check out Smokeball for your small law firm and never miss a detail again. Watch a two-minute demo at smokeball.com lawyerist today. This podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. Now, Ruby is a sponsor, but I was also a paying customer. Ruby answered the phones for my law firm, so I know what I'm talking about when I say you really should give Ruby a try. And you should. Callers regularly told me how nice my receptionist was. Ruby made it easy for me to make my clients feel well cared for when they called. But what really made Ruby stand out for me was the way they treated me. If you've heard me talk about Ruby before, you've probably heard this story already, but when my first daughter was born, I pulled up the Ruby app on my phone on the way to the hospital and updated my status so Ruby would know to hold my calls for 48 hours because I was going to be in the hospital for the birth of my first child. And then a few days later, when I checked in at my office, there was a little care package with a really nice onesie and a rattle and a bib and a couple of other things. And I was just so touched by that, obviously, because I'm still telling the story and now my daughter is six. But the point is that Ruby knows how to take care of people, both you and your callers. And I'm confident you will be just as happy with Ruby as I still am because Ruby is still answering the phones now at Lawyerist. So you should give Ruby a try. And to do that, you just need to go to callruby.com slash lawyerist and sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. And if you aren't happy for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks with Ruby. I'm pretty sure you will stick around, though. But since there's no risk, you might as well try. Okay, let's get back to it. Before we took a break for our sponsors, we were talking about uh, micro moments and how people engage with uh, search and internet and uh, how they how they may come into contact with you probably through some sort of a local uh, relationship. Uh, but so, Guy, how do we actually make sure that we are on the other side of that engagement? How, how do we make sure that that micro moment is between us and a potential client? Right. So, I and I, if you know if this is, if all this kind of thing is brand new to you, I, I say start just brainstorming. But it starts with thinking locally in real life. Uh, if you serve a local market, one is identifying uh, some of the ways that people. One, there's a huge overlooked opportunity, but you know people don't realize that people use different languages in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting to know how those people. Uh, use different languages, describe the issues they're dealing with that are relevant to your practice, uh, who, what, what the organizations are at a very local level uh, that you can go out and meet people and network and maybe, you know, do seminar work with. You know, so all that, that real life local stuff uh, and taking consideration some of the things that, the, that you as a lawyer might be passionate about. I'm sure, you know, we all have causes that 
uh, we, for one uh, reason or another, are extremely passionate about, find those places in real life and then start saying, how can I apply this uh, to the web and to social networks and to the people that I know in real life online? Um, and so, you know, some of the things we talk about are localizing your website. Uh, you know, if you putting local content on your website, you know, talk, was, a lot of lawyers have done somewhat creative things with identifying like local dangerous intersections. You know, that's something that hmm. a lot of people are impacted by. You know, if you're, uh, it's local language, it's places, uh, that people are familiar with. Um, so that's what kind of what we mean there is, is to actually put local content, you know, local news stuff that you have something to write about on your website. And it's again, sort of the, the non, uh, spammy clickbaity version of you'll never believe these five new traffic laws in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Exactly. But, but it's actually be interesting to your community rather than trying to do the same frequently asked questions that every other bankruptcy lawyer in the country is doing. Exactly. And it, and it's what, what can you offer? What, if, you know, again, even if you're a young lawyer who's, you know, you don't have the experience, uh, you're not writing the treatise on, you know, auto accident law in your state, you could, there, you have an opinion mm -hmm. and you can frame that in a way that, you know, some people are, might agree with you. And guess what? Some people might disagree with you and that's okay too. And part of, part of this whole process is, is having these conversations online. Um, but and again, you know, there of course there are consequences for standing for something. But you know, I'd rather stand for something than stand for nothing and just be regurgitating these you know five traffic law tips. But the, the the real point from a search perspective is, like you said, keep it interesting, make it local. Obviously, you need some of the basics with where you put HTML elements uh, and make sure that your pages are getting indexed in local search. But another big piece of this is this idea of uh, your, the consistency of your business listings, which is a whole, if you, I always use Moz because they've got great information there, but Moz Local has this whole learning center, uh, that David Mim there's put together. Really great stuff. So if you have, if you want to get into the weeds of like local organic search marketing, which I don't know if that's really the direction we want to go today, but that's a great resource to learn more about that. Um, and of course, you can always pay for local search traffic. So one of the things that and okay, you know, so that that's a whole new can of worms for some people. What, when should you consider paying instead of trying to build it yourself? So it's a, it's a really hard question to answer, but I'll, I'll give you some. Here's some of my guidelines. Number one is, you know, start back with identifying your target audience. Are are you trying to help people with a specific legal problem in a specific area that? they're likely to go and do a business lookup search for your firm. And are those likely to be your clients? So again, if you are a, let's use divorce attorney, and you're doing only high net worth divorces, you don't have a system for uh, efficiently and effectively screening the droves of people that are searching for a divorce lawyer, paying for local search marketing might not be the best thing for you. Mm -hmm. However, if you are, you know, whether you want to call it a volume-based practice or you're, you have systems in place to quickly and efficiently identify whether or not someone's likely to be a good audience for you, the next step is to say, what is the business component of this? How much money can I spend to acquire a client on average uh, that it still makes sense for my firm? Because this is what happens. People are like, oh, yeah, I got to be online. I got to be on AdWords. I'm going to bid on divorce lawyer. 
you know, they don't even set a, a location. There's like U.S. divorce lawyer broad match. Mm-hmm. And then they and then they spend thousands of dollars and they're like, oh, AdWords doesn't work. Right. And it's like, well, no, you you need to say how much is the cost per click? You know, if you're if you're if you need to say your divorce, your average divorce client, and I'm making numbers up because I've never I don't have a lot of experience in divorce. But let's say it's a four thousand dollar flat rate divorce. I don't even know if that's realistic, but <laughs> I would say that if you can, ge- if you can generate, uh, potential clients for, you know, X percent of that, uh, $4,000 that makes sense for your business, then AdWords might make sense for you. And then you can work backwards and say how much you're willing to pay for a click and what geography you might say, you know, am I going to do this on a specific zip code or city or county or am I going to do it statewide? But, that's kind of the analysis you have to go through to decide uh, whether it's going to be the right thing for you. It's not as easy as saying, I need to be in AdWords. I need to be in Google. I need to be on Facebook. You need to be able to do a little bit of math. You got to do some math. You got to do some research. You got to get some sense of who your target audience is. And, and you know, this is another thing too. Ask the, the best resource here. And this is, I think this is good advice in general in terms of just improving your practice in all sorts of ways. Listen to what your clients are saying. Hey, how did you find us? How did you, uh, you know, perform a search if you came in through the search? You know, asking those questions and on top of asking questions about how do you feel about our service? How we could improve our service? You know, my communication process. You know, would you be willing to leave a review? All that kind of stuff. But they're the people that, you know, if you've got a client who fits your target audience, they're sitting right there. Ask them. They're Mm -hmm. a wealth of knowledge. So if we were going to, if you're going to give somebody a checklist of like how to get, how to get your house in order for local marketing, as opposed to um, either not doing enough marketing at all, or just blasting it out to whoever, um, how, how would, what would be the checklist that you would give somebody to like, here are the things you need to pay attention to? All right, great. So if we're talking, so I'm going to give some caveats here. So we're assuming um, we're targeting an audience. Uh, that's using the internet to find information and to actually find lawyers on a local level. Number one is you got to localize your website. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got to have local content up there that gets indexed. That's going to uh, even if it's long tail searches, but that people are going to get exposure to your website. They're going to you know art you know content that they want to share, whether it's a blog post or some kind of article or a study or a picture, whatever it is. Um, localize your website. Number two is you've got to be in for, for search. You've got to use right now it's called Google, my business, but it used to, you know, Google plus local, local. It's had a lot of names, hasn't it? They've, they're constantly changing it. And I think they're finally, you know, who am I to speak for Google, but it seems like they're kind of, they're finally understanding the importance of delivering localized business results to their users. And so they've really made this push towards uh, this last year, these local results, three packs have become much more prominent in search for a variety of different searches. So Google My Business, you can look, look up Google My Business, get that listing locked down, make sure you follow the, they have guidelines there for what you, what's permissible and what's not. You get to have a listing for each office, lo- physical office location and for each practice practitioner. So each lawyer in each office location, but you know, don't try to game it. Don't try to use virtual office. In my opinion, again, people disagree about this. And of course, you know, Google's not perfect. So spam can still work, but 
Um, my, the best advice I can give is don't try to game it, follow the guidelines, do it for each of your offices. Uh, when you have happy clients that are like, how can I, you know, say thank you? You know, we always encourage, uh, happy clients to go to our Google, my business page, assuming that it's permissible for you to do that in your state. So check that out. Um, and then, be, then after that, I would say social networking. So, you know, and you know, I've talked about this before too, but, uh, Facebook ha- allows for pages. Those pages can be reviewed by clients and colleagues. Those pages will show up prominently in search results. And so when you're talking about those searches on your name, the more places that you can say, you know, hey, my Google, my business profile page has happy people talking about me. My Facebook page has happy people saying, you know, you're the best. <laughs> uh, your Yelp listing has places, people saying you're the best. Uh, and Yelp and Google My Business are extremely localized. Avo, same thing, extremely localized. Um, so, you know, I, I know a lot of lawyers don't like the Avo scoring, but, you know, Avo is, you know, they're very prominent for most. If you look up your name online and you're a lawyer, it's very likely your Avo profile, even my Avo profile shows up and I'm not very active there, but, you know, I'm still a member of the Michigan Bar. So they, you know, pull that information in. Um, those are, those are kind of the quick checkpoints. So short version. Website, Google My Business, the local listings that show up for searches for your name, like Yelp, Avo, um, Facebook. And then I would say beyond that, you can start getting into some of the paid advertising stuff, but that should not be your first thing. And, and in fact, if you're going to go paid, you need to spend a lot of time learning about audience targeting, how these platforms work. A lot of them aren't as intuitive as you might think. It's not as simple as, you know, in the past, you got a big budget, you put a, a billboard up. Um, it's a little bit more complicated than and that. And you need to have a pretty sophisticated idea of what your ROI needs to be, what oh, your exactly. cost per acquisition, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's a, and that might be a good conversation for us another time, but the understanding the business metrics of your practice is critically important. If you're going to spend time and money on client development beyond the things that might be intuitive to you. And so, you know, again, I, for if you're if you're out there and you're like most lawyers, you, know, you don't have a lot of time, but you know you need some of these things to buttress the other networking and client development activities you're doing, a lot of the stuff's free. So it's just a matter of kind of connecting the wires. It's a matter um, of the time, which isn't the time. entirely the free, right? but yeah. And then the, the final thing I would say is, and, and this could be a whole other conversation too, is working on some kind of email strategy. So... That's that on one end of the spectrum, that could be as simple as remembering to regularly email your most trusted referral sources, uh, but staying in touch with people via email, not, you know, mass emailing everybody your free consultation messaging. But, you know, email is becoming this kind of the, the last, I mean, it's really not, I'd say text probably is, but it's still a place that a lot of people have their eyeballs on. It's a protected place to a certain extent. Obviously, we all get a lot of spam emails, but um, it's a it's a place that I would say in the future too is going to continue to be important, especially, and I don't want to get too technical, but the there's going to be a shift to email being the identifier for targeting. So, you know, right now the cookie is the main thing, but I, I can see an evolution towards email. So when you're talking about Facebook custom audiences, Google's going to allow you to do custom audiences. 
So being able to build email lists of people that actually want to get emails from you is a very powerful thing. Anything else for the checklist? I don't know. I probably went a little bit longer. No, that's all right, though. Let's. <laughs> it's good to help people get started. And I, I think that's probably a good thing to end on. So, Keith, thanks so much for being with us again. You are our second returning guest. Always a pleasure. Uh, and thanks for having me. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.